0: it's the MPG Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Josh Moser. This week I got Sean Williams.
1: Hey, how's it going? Good
0: job, man. How's it going?
1: So far, so good. Thanks for being here. Yeah, cheers.
0: <laughs> cheers. Drinking uh, Irish whiskey, proper 12. My favorite. It was a good choice. Um, I actually bought it, like, I bought some last week just because uh, in the name of testing it before... Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it went down easy.
1: What do you normally drink?
0: I would say my go-to... It's probably just beer.
1: Just beer, okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: normally my go-to is beer. But, like, I have been getting a little bit more into, like, um, whiskeys and spirits since yeah. I've been doing the podcast. Just because, like, we were talking a little bit before the show is, you know, there's been such a diversity of requests. Right. Right? So, it's kind of got... Which, I did that on purpose to test me a little bit. Yeah. So, but... um. I definitely would add proper twelve in my arsenal. A yeah, it's,
1: it's kinda nice. Yeah. yeah, it's a good one. I'm I'm a big fan. I when I'm out and about, I'm normally like a cord light, which is basically water. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'll start sometimes downtown. I'll have a little uh, uh, Irish whiskey old fashioned, which is absolutely delicious.
0: So what is um what is proper twelve not considered old Fashioned? Like what is the difference? So old
1: fashioned is traditionally bourbon. So it's bourbon muddled with. Uh, orange a little bit of orange a cherry with some some bitters um sometimes people put a splash in it but it's basically whiskey bitters orange and cherry um and it's 99 percent of the time it's bourbon but i was sitting there one day i'm like hey can you guys make me one with irish whiskey like absolutely and it's delicious what yeah it's delicious okay i'll have to try some yeah
0: um so I guess let's just jump right into it. Yes, sir. Kind of the classic question. Yep. The trajectory from uh, when you graduate high school to right okay, now. yeah.
1: So <laughs> yep. Very interesting. Uh, so I like I was telling you earlier, I grew up here uh, in Savannah, actually Tybee. I was born and raised on Tybee. Went to high, uh, grade school down there. Um, high school at BC, you know, traditional Savannah kid, um, and uh, went to Armstrong. Graduated from there in '91 and I had always had an interest in the film industry. Um, my dad did like some film work like uh, in the 70s and 80s. Um, he was good friends with Stratton Leopold from Leopold Ice Cream here in town. Um, back then, Stratton had, was doing primarily location and a little bit of, the, of uh, line producer work. This was before he moved to LA and became a big movie producer. Um, my dad did, you know, little stuff here and there, like he'd work with the stunt team as a mechanic, or he'd provide, you know, random services as a mechanic. Um, so I had an interest from being in, on a couple of film sets. So I moved to Atlanta briefly, um, got a little bit of experience up there. Um, I was hired, my first job in the industry, I was hired as a driver for Jessica Tandy, um. And she and I got along great. It's like To me, it was like driving around my grandmother. Um, <laughs> and I got to hang out with Bridget Fonda at the same time, which was fun. Um, she and her husband were doing another movie in Georgia like just a few months later. And he asked me to be his assistant. So I was Hume Cronin's assistant. And then uh, from there, I was a production assistant on a movie that they shot here in Savannah called Now and Then. Uh, I was a production assistant on Forrest Gump, uh, that shot here and in Buford. And uh, the director from Now and Then, uh, at the end of production, said, "Hey, I am. uh, I'm going to need him an assistant in L.A. My assistant's moving back to Scotland. Do you want to come out and work six months?" So I was like, "Sure." So I went up there for six months. Ended up staying 25 years, (laughs) um, uh, which was great. I had a lot of fun. Uh, uh, My film industry career lasted from like 91 to probably about 2000, 2001, when I was, I had just gotten burned out. I had, you know, kind of worked my way up. Uh, once I got to LA, I'd worked for um, James Cameron's first ex-wife, Gail Ann Hurd, who currently produces The Walking Dead. What? Uh Yeah. Dang. And uh, that's where I first got, kind of got my, my, feet wet on the real estate industry, work was working for her. She was a her father was a developer, Palm Springs in the nineteen fifties. She in had the 50s Yeah, in the nineteen fifties. Oh yeah. Gosh, so He made like Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He was very successful, <laughs> Mr. Hurd. And uh Gail herself had quite a few real estate holdings there that she some she had inherited from her father and she also, you know, was very successful in the film industry and continues to be. So she had quite a few private residences, and learning how she structured her universe and how she managed all her holdings was very interesting. Um, It kind of, it was kind of a crash course in not only working on movies, getting movies made, but also dealing with high net worth individuals. Um, So I did that till about 2001. Uh, Then I was hired uh, temporarily as a, um, doing some marketing at Toyota headquarters in Torrance, California, which was just, you know, 10 minutes from my house at the time. How'd you get Uh, into that? Uh, I had a friend that worked for the temp agency and they're like, Hey, we need somebody to come in and do these specific things. I was like, yeah, I could do that. So I went in and I ended up after a year as a temp, I got hired full time in the Toyota marketing department. Um, Worked primarily on the financial services side, um, helped launch the Scion brand, launched a couple of Toyota credit cards, um, eventually switched over into social media, um, was the first uh, Lexus full-time hire to do social media for Lexus. From there, I got recruited over to um, Hyundai, which was just starting their turnaround with their new designs and got a little more budget. Um, from. While I was at Hyundai, I um, not only did their social media, but also managed their entertainment and sports partnerships to a degree. Um, I uh, ended up working with my old boss, Gail, who was, at that time, Hyundai was integrated into the Walking Dead television show. So we did a couple of big campaigns uh, around the Walking Dead, um, and those went really well. And then the next year was the World Cup, and Hyundai is a a worldwide sponsor for that, and they didn't have anybody that really knew or was involved in soccer, and I was like, hey, I've got some friends that play club soccer and play uh, pro soccer for LA Galaxy, and they're like, perfect, you can manage the World Cup program. So I did that, and they both won Effie Awards each year. Um, From there, I was recruited over to BuzzFeed, and I ran the automobile partnerships uh, at BuzzFeed in LA. Um, and what year is this? This is, so this is now 2017, 2016, 2017. Okay. Uh, and from there I was recruited, um, to work for, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk at his ad agency in LA doing work for Toyota, my old friends. I was now, (laughs) I was on the, uh, agency side with them and helped relaunch the Toyota 86 that had been a Scion vehicle. Toyota shuttered the Scion brand and shifted some of the vehicles over to the Toyota side and they needed help relaunching them. So uh, I had a hand in that Um, and from there I got recruited to another agency called Civic Entertainment which is owned by Ryan Seacrest and they have a multi-year deal with Ford Motor Company to help promote the Ford brand and entertainment partnerships. So I did that and I got, then I finally got tired of driving an hour and a half, 17 miles every day, uh, one way. (laughs) So it was a three hour round trip, roughly to commute. My now ex-wife had been a real estate agent since about 2006. I went and got my license. We started working together as a team, um, increased her, uh, you know, her sales basically doubled them the first year. Um, ended up, I got into a small accident and a ruptured disc that I had got much worse than it. And so I was not able to work as much, ended up having to have spinal surgery. Two months later, she and I split up and I was like, look, I've been wanting to move back to Georgia anyway. So in September, 2019, two months after spinal surgery, I drove from LA back to Savannah and I've been here ever since. I got my, uh, Georgia license here uh in January of twenty twenty through reciprocity. Um and uh, you know, started hitting the ground running and did about my first year last year did about four and a half million uh in transactions. Last year I expect to double that this year. Dang. Yeah.
0: Okay, so there's a lot on pack there. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. So <laughs> let me ask so, you th- So, so yeah. uh just going back, okay, yep. when you're going from the world of um, acting and being around producers and all that stuff to moving into like corporate. Yeah. Was that like a, I mean, that had been kind of a dramatic, dramatic transition. I mean,
1: it was, you know,
0: those two worlds operate.
1: They, they are completely different. Although I had kind of, you know, Hollywood was, and to this day is very loose, loosey goosey. Um, I think it's getting better. Um, as you know, you've seen all these scandals that come out about these Hollywood people who are treat people badly and, you know, are very harassing. Luckily, I never really experienced that. I did get a, a job offer from a producer who um, has a reputation for being that kind of person. And I was like, it's like, there's no way I want to work. And a, I don't want to work for that person. B, the first time they throw something at me, it's going right back at them. <laughs> So we would not be a good fit, but thank you for the offer. Right.
0: Um,
1: So, yeah, and it was completely different. Toyota is very straight-laced, super, super conservative, Um, probably more conservative than even a lot of American companies. The Japanese wanted to make sure that, and the Koreans as well, working for Hyundai, want to make sure that everything's done, everything's by the book. Um, And whereas if I'm on a movie set and, you know, Somebody, one of the producers comes up to me and, hey, we need uh, we need this actor to stay on set for another two hours. However, if we don't get him back to his hotel room by X amount of time, we incur $50,000 in overage fees per his contract. Can you figure out a solution? I'm like, okay. So 20 minutes before he's supposed to leave, I have a helicopter land to on the set to take him back to the hotel room. And they're like, that was great. I was like, it was ten thousand dollars rather than fifty. They're like, perfect. Let's. <laughs> and you know, you just spent You're spending other people's money all the time. Like,
0: there's no sense of fiscal conservative. Like, cons-
1: well, I mean, movie companies are set up to spend money. Like, when in production, you're spending money. That's that's the only job is, to, you're you've got you're supposed to deliver the movie, but you have x amount of money to spend to deliver it, and you either spend it all or a little bit over sometimes never under never (laughs) under i i don't think i've ever no no movie that i worked on ever went under
0: that's crazy and so the way i understand it too is like there's a lot of private investors that invest in individual movies right like they raise money for these movies yep
1: there are yep i feel
0: like as a private investor whenever you could you imagine like you put i don't know what million dollars into a movie and you're like watching somebody say oh hey great we just spent ten thousand dollars to get a actor back to his hotel like on time
1: well and then they're like why'd you spend that i was like well because i was gonna be 50 if we didn't get him back yeah, on who time
0: agreed to pay 50 for
1: sometimes like, you just have to do sometimes you have to do it to get the shot yeah depending on who the actor is yep that's
0: still hard to wrap my head around you know I don't yeah know. yeah I mean, it,
1: it's very interesting uh like i said it's very loosey-goosey um but going to another, into a corporate environment where every penny you have to get somebody to sign off on I was like oh my god <laughs> it's driving me crazy but you know you just adapt and move on
0: did you miss doing the product the producing like when you went to corporate America
1: uh, I did in some instances but it's it's especially when you're working on marketing it's production but on a different type of level so you know I'm you're working on production of commercials often of extra videos of social media assets of you're looking at an overall campaign and producing that it's you know the skill set to me is pretty similar um it's just you know making those subtle shifts i got gotcha. you yeah
0: and then so skipping forward mm-hmm. um once you get out of corporate America. So did you get your license while you were still in that world or it was like afterwards?
1: I was still in that world. Originally, I had, it's this funny story. I had originally gotten my license because we were trying to put my son in a specific school district where we we did not live. And the homes in that school district are, you know, multi-million dollars. Right. Um, However, if you work in that school district, you can send your child to school there so that's originally why i got my license uh i actually never did p- place my license with the with that company um and i did with an affiliate of them but w- once he started in the grade school in that school system they didn't really care where he lived after that so they were like yeah just fine it's fine whatever just <laughs> he's a good kid <laughs> just let him go through
0: and so what year was that then that that was nice.
1: so when did I get my, I think I got my Georgia license in 2017. Yeah. Middle of 2017.
0: So did you actually end up selling any house in California? you waited until you got here. Well, actually no, I you did. Just, you said yeah. you teamed up with your wife. Yeah. Right? So yeah. in
1: 2018, my ex now ex-wife and I ex-wife, worked. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Right. We worked as a team together and we actually were, we actually worked great together. Um, I liked going out and showing, you know, five or six, seven houses in a day. Um, I liked going to, you know, different real estate events. She really preferred the, like doing the paperwork and negotiating and things like that. So, you know, our skill sets were complementary.
0: Did, do you, being back in Savannah has, is the, what is real estate like here versus in California? Is it like completely different?
1: It's, it's similar, uh, in most ways, uh, a couple of the differences are the the zeros on the end of the contracts are <laughs> different. Um, yeah. The last house that I sold in California was a it was about sixteen seventeen hundred square foot house uh, on a probably a six thousand square foot lot. It was built in nineteen fifty three. It had had no updates. It was all original original kitchen plumbing, bathrooms maybe the carpet had been changed in the 70s um and that house sold in 5 days for $800,000 um and uh so over here that's a $250,000 house roughly
0: not not updated maybe even less yeah, yeah
1: yeah probably less if it's not updated but you know comparable size it's like i have a listing right now on uh, sixty-six in Reynolds, which is a twelve thousand square foot lot, and that house is listed for two twenty-nine. So,
0: <laughs> sounds like a shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like,
1: all right, just gotta adjust down a little bit. The other big change for me was people in Savannah. I'd hear, you know, friends with lots of people in Savannah about. They were talking about the traffic, 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 and I'm like, I'm like, I can be on one t- side of town to the other in twenty minutes. This is not bad traffic i mean driving out i-16 sometimes if you're trying to get go towards pooler when there's it's rush hour it's bad but i mean that's rush hour anywhere
0: and it's not i mean like within an hour it's all cleared up right Right. yeah
1: the other big difference is in california we do escrow closings versus attorney closings here yeah so what is the
0: so what is all like how is the closing process in california why just like break that down yeah so? so the
1: closing process in california is basically once you have a uh, offer accepted you you know you do your inspections you re- renegotiate or get money back based on what what your arrangement is as far as repairs or or no repairs and then basically after that it's hands off to to the uh, escrow company until you know you get you clear to close from your lender the client goes to the escrow office and signs all the paperwork and that's it
0: and what is the escrow company? An escrow company is like a title company?
1: Yeah. Well, they're they're two different things. So escrow company, they hold the money for the for the loan until both parties sign off, and then they do the transfer of the money. And they charge you a certain amount per $1,000 to do that. Uh, so it's a lot more expensive to close in California than it is here in Georgia.
0: Yeah. Does that make it hard for wholesalers? Like, could you really be a whole – I mean – how big is wholesaling in LA? Uh,
1: it depends on the scale. I mean, I knew somebody who did very large scale wholesaling, you know, 50 to 100 homes at a time. Um, and, you know, that's just a, such a much longer and much more complicated process. Um, but you can't do it. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier here to do wholesale deals. You know, you, you knock on doors, you find somebody who's, you know, wants to sell their house. You say, all right, let's do it. We'll go talk to an attorney and you're done. Right, yeah, that it's you. You still have to go through escrow in California, and it's just a pain.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. That would make your. Uh, yeah, why do they charge so much too? Why do they make? Is there like a reason? What's the benefit of doing that whole escrow system? No idea. It's just.
1: It's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, I I did not see a benefit to it. It's just different. Right. Yep. Like all things in life. Yes. Yeah. 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 Different <laughs> and more complicated for no reason. Right. Yeah.
0: Is that ultimately, is that like, so when you moved back to Savannah, um, you immediately got into real estate? Yep. And were you, did you work for Keller Williams when you were in California?
1: I did. So uh, when I came to town, I have a lot of friends that are realtors here in town. Some are brokers at this point. And I interviewed with a lot of them and they had a lot of great things to offer. But ultimately, I'm happy with Keller Williams at this point with the with the culture of the company, with the training they offer, with the systems that they have available to you, and it just made—I was also going through a divorce, so I was like trying to simplify other areas of my wife' life. Right. Um, so it made sense just for continuity purposes, just to you know, I had all all of my everything set up for Keller Williams, so it was a pretty easy transition.
0: How long have you been with Keller Williams?
1: So I joined the Keller Williams in California in twenty seventeen and it's twenty twenty one. Was that four years? Yeah, four, four years. Four years.
0: Yeah. Do you have any investments?
1: I not anymore. Not since I got divorced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: you did before though?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. I I primarily invested in stocks. Uh mainly because out in California the the, the prices of of homes and uh, Rentals out there and everything is really cost prohibitive unless you have lots and lots of money. Um, I had at one time had a rental property on Tybee that my sister and I co owned, it had been our parents' house we inherited. And we this was pre Airbnb, we had it as a long term rental, and uh, we sold it in whew, wow, I think around 2010 or 2011. Um, God, I wish I would have kept that. Yeah, um, seriously, uh. And then I put, you know, I, I've been pretty good about, you know, my stock investments. I invested in Apple in 2004. I invested in Netflix in 2009, oh 2010. My. So I've been pretty good with, you know, looking at a company, at their fundamentals, or where they're going as a company. I actually, I bought Apple after I bought my first iPod. And I said, these are going to be the guys, the first to do all-in-one phone device. And, you know, thank God, a few years later they did. Yeah. And I invested in Netflix after I became a customer and saw their product. And, uh, you know, I kept kept up with them on the news cycle and saw that they were going to expand to other countries. I'm like, all right, if I invest in them now and they expand to other countries in, you know, a year and a half – the stock price is going to go up because the subscribership is going to go up. Right. So no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. no brainer tw- in hindsight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that <laughs> when was you simplify it like that. It seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Know? They
1: were too, those have been two good investments for me.
0: <laughs> have you ever made a, like a really poor one? What's one that you thought was going to like knock out of the park that didn't,
1: you know, I've been, I, I didn't do well on Google because I didn't hold it long enough. I feel like, Um, I, I took in when the crash started happening in 2007, I took my entire portfolio to cash and I let it sit there a little too long. I should have bought it right after, bought back in right after the first crash, but I was a little gun shy and I didn't know what was happening. Um, like I did that Netflix investment was one of the first ones that I made. And then I kind of slowly got into things. But also, things were a little bit volatile there so during that time. So, you know, uh, I wish I would have held on to everything a little bit longer, Right. to be honest. You yeah. Know?
0: I heard a good thing. Uh, actually, Aaron Miller here was on the show. He mm-hmm. said that when he was a young man that somebody told him, when you buy real estate, never sell. Yeah. And he never has, and now... Yeah. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, like if you had kept that time, I mean, oh yeah, could have, but oh yeah. The best time to buy real estate is today and 20 years ago, right? That's right. (laughs) Yep. Um, let me ask you this. When you guys were in California, you and your wife, was it just, or ex-wife, I'm sorry. That's right. Was it just a two person team or did you guys have?
1: It was a two person team. And then, you know, we had a lender that we worked with very closely and uh, a specific title and escrow company that we worked with really closely on almost all our deals. So it was us and an extended team of you know support
0: so when you came so coming here do you expect to just keep it small forever or like do you have plans to expand i'd like
1: to you know to build my own team i've had offers from you know three or four different bigger teams in town to join them and i'm maybe considering that at this point until i you know get my legs under me a little bit more um the savannah market it's different uh you know and especially me after coming back for after being away for 25 years I know a lot of people but getting getting to earn their trust and getting their business is another different another thing you know and of course everybody knows 10 realtors so right yep
0: what advantage do you have coming to this market from California
1: uh I think my probably my biggest advantage is that I look at things a little more holistically. I'm not looking just to make a deal and make money and sell somebody a piece of property. I wanna make sure that it fits into their long-term goals. And some people I've said, you know what, it's not time for you to buy, or you know, I know you want this bigger, more expensive piece of property. However, I think at this point, this one that is you know a little bit uh, more within your means, let's go with that. And you can move up to something like that in, a, you know, five years. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to push somebody into a transaction just so I can get a paycheck. I want to make sure that it's something that's going to be good for them long term. Right. Yeah.
0: What does that come from, do you think?
1: I think it comes from seeing my dad. Uh, my dad was a blue collar guy, very intelligent. He was a, you know, mechanically inclined he was not a very good investment-minded. He was good at saving money, but he wasn't really good at you know looking at investments and saying, "Oh, I think that is a good investment." There are a couple times where he gave a large amount of cash, at least to him, to somebody to manage, and five years later that was gone. So I don't want to be you know that person who, you know, took somebody's money or their life savings that they're putting into a real estate transaction that, you know, five years later, they're like, Oh my God, Sean screwed us over. It was a bur- worst decision ever. Right. So yeah.
0: What kind of questions do you ask to kind of find figure that out? You know what I mean? Do you have like some go-tos that you,
1: well, in most cl- cases, it's about your income, your long-term goals, where do you want to live? What stage of life are you at? Um, where do you want your kids to go to school? It, are you going to send them to public school or private school? It's a big question here in Savannah because private schools are so expensive and there are only a few really good public school options here in the area. Um, you know, I, sometimes, you know, you're dealing with. I just sold a house over in Gordonston to uh, a couple from San Francisco who they don't have any kids. And I'm like, perfect. This is a great neighborhood for you. You can get your a nice big old Savannah style house that's five minutes from downtown for, you know, a quarter of the price of, you know, the downtown townhouses. Right. Yep.
0: Um, What neighborhoods are uh, are there specific neighborhoods that you see in Savannah that you think are going to experience the most growth? So you saw what it looked like 25 years ago. Yeah. Which is kind of a unique perspective because a lot of people are transplants here. Yep. So seeing what has transpired in the last 25 years and looking forward to the next 25 years. Yep. What areas of town do you think are going to...
1: So I think the, you know, downtown back when I lived here before was not great it was you know i lived i lived on a row house on uh, taylor street it was a four-story house and it had been cut up into four different apartments my rent was 385 a month that same house is under contract now for 3.3 million dollars uh now granted it's been completely restored savannah has changed dramatically everybody wants to live downtown if they could right um So I think as you see the growth of coming, you know, south from downtown, you know, we're probably at, you know, we're somewhere between Park Avenue and 37th Street as far as, you know, restoration goes and and, uh, gentrification as well. So there there are pockets of neighborhoods in that area that are, uh, have been restored or New houses are built there. I think that area is going to continue to grow uh, and uh, be a good investment long term. You know, you hear people talk about Starland a lot, which I believe is another uh, good investment. Um, The landings right now is experiencing an, an amazing turnover as older folks either pass away, move out of there into assisted living, move into condos. Um, and a younger generation is moving in there and buying some of those whole homes that are wonderfully constructed homes but maybe a little outdated from the 70s and 80s, and they're going in and, you know, updating them. Uh, I think that's an area that's going to continue to experience growth. Uh, uh, one of the little other pockets we were talking about in the office the other day is Sylvan Terrace. I don't even... Do you know where that is? I actually
0: just did a flip in Sylvan Terrace. Yeah, yeah. Sylvan
1: Terrace, I think... Uh, is going to experience uh, a complete revitalization as well. Uh, we actually lived there when I was very little before we moved out to Tybee, and the it's a beautiful neighborhood. The quality of construction of those homes, as you can probably attest to, or maybe not, uh, is very high. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a ton of potential in there. Um, just a lot of not not a lot goes on the market. People tend to it's like a lot of the neighborhoods in savannah they move in there and stay there because it's such a great neighborhood
0: right yeah yeah what do how do you feel about like the um the fringes on like the west and the east side
1: ah wow it's tough you know uh at some point you have to take into consideration what the crime looks like and what people feel comfortable with i think for single people or families that have no kids those probably are okay right now and they may be in the future okay as well but for right now I think those are probably those are probably going to be the last areas that I recommend as far I'd, I'd recommend Sylvan Terrace before one of those areas because I just love the neighborhood
0: it's funny you can almost like attach Sylvan Terrace to like that and Ardsley Park though
1: yeah it's it's you know it was like the new Ardsley Park when it was built um Back when I was a kid, it was uh, primarily a Jewish neighborhood um, and there's still a lot of uh, Jewish families that own property in there. Uh, there's a very few that live in there but there's a lot that own property in there. Um, so I like I said, I think that's that's gonna be a hidden jewel over probably the next five years.
0: What other things in Savannah have you seen that have changed in last since you were here last? Like what when you came back into town what were you like most shocked to see?
1: I continue to be shocked at how busy downtown is. Um, You know, back when I was here in the late 80s and I still lived up there. I lived in there until 95, but I was working a lot. So I wasn't as aware, but there was a lot of crime downtown. It was, you know, at at the probably 90, 91, it was kind of the peak of the crack years. And so there was lots and lots of crime. I was a bartender uh up until 91 and every bartender I know carried a gun because they everybody had gotten robbed after leaving work you know you you leave you leave your bar with you know a couple hundred bucks of cash in your pocket and there's somebody waiting out in the alley for you with a gun so we all started carrying guns back then it was pretty amazing uh so I continue to be surprised and delighted about how many people are downtown? I think it's wonderful for Savannah. Um, a couple other things are, you know, SCAD has expanded, you know, exponentially, and I think, you know, I think there's plus and minuses. You know, there are SCAD haters, there are SCAD lovers. I think there would Savannah would not be the city that it is today without SCAD. Um, they've brought such a diversity of. Students and knowledge into town, as well as all the restorations on the properties that they have acquired, I think has been wonderful for the city. Um, so that was a big change, and I was happy to see that as well. And 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 surprise, I didn't realize that they had acquired so many buildings until I started driving around. I'm like, oh, Scad, 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 <laughs> Scad. I'm like, wow.
0: And you start clicking around just you're like, whoa. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, also, Tybee has completely changed. I was going to uh, ask about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was a kid, Tybee was the least expensive place in Chatham County to live. It was ridiculously cheap, and we were called Tybee Trash because what? people thought, oh, you can't afford to live anywhere else, so you live out in Tybee. Now, you know, I don't know if I could afford to – I mean, I guess I could afford to buy a house on Tybee, but it's super expensive, you know, for a, for a decent place on Tybee is, you know, half a million, $600,000 if you can find one. Um, There's not a lot of long-term rentals on Tybee. Everybody is doing short-term rentals because they make so much money. Uh, It's gotten built up by uh, lots of new construction, lots of condominiums, townhouses, things like that. So it's not the Tybee that I grew up on. It's still got that flavor a little bit, but it's completely different than from when I left.
0: When you were a kid, was there a lot of tourism in Savannah at all?
1: There, there was tourism, but not anything like it is today. It's like, do
0: they upkeep the squares like they do now? Or? No. Okay. I was No.
1: Kidding. It was not uncommon. I lived on Monterey Square, like I said, all through college on and off. I lived in the same apartment probably three different times with different roommates. Um, Monterey Square, which is where Mercer House is, um, and it was not uncommon to see prostitutes in the square. Uh, you'd see people, gay men cruising the square at night, you know, things like that. It was very, very seedy. Still downtown. Uh, it's
0: hard to believe all the crime in those, like, because they're so uh, well upkept now. You yeah, know I
1: mean? like, yeah, and I think they were they were kept up. I just don't think the attention or the budget was there to to really you know make them as safe as they are today
0: right yeah. what about like uh traffic on Tybee? so i get that like the people that live there working cons- but like yeah. was there still just as many people that went to the beaches and no like- there's
1: a lot more people that go to the beach now for sure um back when i was a kid north beach was just locals i mean you might go there and see a hundred people that were all locals and sometimes you'd you know during some of the you know like earlier months in the year like march you'd might not see anybody you go down by yourself and crab right off the beach and now north beach is packed you know just as much as the south end of the island is so it's it's completely different and it's it's been great for you know i have a lot of friends that own businesses out there and they're all doing well and i think it's great
0: it's really weird why do you think that that changed
1: uh i think i think it's a i think there's been a there's been a obviously been a big demographic change in the country, uh, with millennials who are now, you know, coming of age, they're starting to buy houses themselves. Um, and it's just been a big demographic shift. Like if you go downtown now, I just heard last week or a week before that Savannah is the number two bachelorette, uh, destination in the country after Nashville. Um, So you'll see all these young people who are out and walking around and experiencing the city and spending money. And that's they go to the beach and they like to do fun things, which, you know, hey, I'm all for all those things.
0: Yeah. I just wonder why (laughs) that shift. Like, I wonder, like, why? Why didn't bachelorettes come in the late 80s? Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder why the
1: well, I think Savannah has become more people become more aware of Savannah. You know, with The Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil book, subsequent movie with Forrest Gump being filmed here, it, it just kind of projected Savannah into a different place than it was before. And it's, you know, it's such a wonderful, beautiful city that you come here and a lot of people just fall in love with it.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, something also I wanted to get into a little bit with you was sure. you, you helped produce Forrest Gump.
1: I, I didn't produce it. I was a production assistant. A production I was like, assistant. I was like... The lowest on the totem pole. Like, okay. Tom Hanks needs a Coke. Can somebody go get him a Coke? I'll, yeah, I'll go get him a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. I helped. I started off when we were doing the majority of the Gump House filming, which was a actually a set over in Beaufort. Is it Beaufort or Bluffton? I can't remember. It's been so long ago. But it was a set over there, and Jenny's house was, you know, a half a block away on a different piece of the property, and... Um, some of the fields were very close by. So I started out over there, and I really didn't know what it was. like. I had just worked on a, my second movie with human and Jessica, and I came into town for the weekend, and uh, Laura Bryant, who's a local uh, uh, locations person, said, hey, they're doing a movie out over on in South Carolina, and they need help, why don't you come to the set, and I'll introduce you to the assistant director so I went, and the assistant director said, "Can you start tomorrow?" And I was like, "Sure." So you know, I worked on the Gump House. I worked uh, on all those scenes with with uh, Forrest and Bubba. You know, in the barracks talking about the all the shrimp, Bubba getting blown up, uh, all the all those scenes, and then all the scenes they shot in Savannah on the square downtown, Chippewa, I think it is. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we shot out by uh, where Fraser Holmes was off of uh, Bay Street.
0: In a situation like that, are you like mingling with the actors? And like, I don't know. I've never, I've never, you know, I mean, most people I would say have never even been in a situation like
1: that. Yeah, it depends on the set, really. Um, I think in my case, I was more comfortable just going up to a random people and talking to them, and I always have. Um, I had worked, the movie that I worked on right before Forrest Gump, I became friends with one of the actors there. He was a, a guy named Frank Whaley. He's a um, character actor, and he had just worked on another movie that I can't remember the name of. I think it was Newsies or something like that. With He had worked on a movie with Gary Sinise. And so he told me, he's like, hey, uh, tell Gary. I said, hey. So I didn't know who Gary Sinise that was one of his first big movies Forrest Gump he was you know primarily a a character and stage actor up to then. so I was like walked over and said hey hey Gary I was just working with Frank Whaley he said to tell you hello he's like oh what were you you know we just started this conversation and it kind of you know from then on you know you just kind of talk to people like you're normally talk to people and I think they respect it for the most part rather than you know like oh don't say this around that right uh It was funny, uh, one of the things they used to do, and they still do in the film industry, the production assistants, if one of the main actors is walking from their trailer onto the set, they'll get on the walkie-talkie and say, Tom Hanks is walking in, Tom Hanks is walking in. So I did that once when I saw him, and then one of the other assistant directors pulled me aside and he said, hey, Tom hates when you do that. I'm like, okay, I won't do that again then. So I happened to be standing in front of his trailer when he walked out. And I was like, "Uh, Tom is walking in, Tom is walking in. And he looked at me and I was like, ah, just kidding. And so from then then on, he and I just kind of talked a couple times. I met his wife. uh, And she ended up being in the movie Now and Then that we shot like a year and a half later here in Savannah. And she actually helped me get the job working for the director that brought me back to L.A. She, like, recommended me for that, so. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah.
0: It's so all because you were standing outside of his trailer alone. Yeah, goofing off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny because not only have you seen, like, so Savannah's really only known for two things, which is, like, real estate and art, you know, scad, yeah. right? And it's, like, kind of offshoot of that, I would say, is, like, film production. Yeah. Almost like a third, really, but. um, And so you've really got to see the transformation of two major industries here yeah because yeah. i mean when you i mean even though you did those few mu- movies here i imagine film production in savannah and georgia in general was nothing then compared to what it is now
1: no there was like one movie every two to three years maybe if we were lucky um i know i put a, a lot of that uh the success of the film industry stratton leopold had a lot to do with it he uh, has always campaigned for georgia to be a location uh he was was very good friends with the uh original heads of the uh, georgia film commission who helped put in those tax incentives that are one of the primary reasons that so many films are shot in georgia in general now and i think we have we have two or three movies shooting here right now just right now yeah. just right now yeah it's i crazy. was i was i just told you earlier i went to uh Uh, St. Paul's Orthodox Church over on Anderson Street for uh, a uh, visitation this morning. And as I was parking, there was a Tony's food service truck who's based out of Van Nuys, California, parked on the street. And I was was like, hey, what what are you guys shooting over there? Like, oh, we're shooting this little vampire movie for Netflix here. I'm like, oh, okay.
0: Dang. Yeah. Have you ever thought about getting back into film or like?
1: So interestingly enough, when I – moved back in town i got my headshots done by a local photographer here uh, named anthony paderewski who's also a location person and actor himself and he's like so what are we what are we doing these headshots for and i'm like oh just for real estate and he's like dude i'm sending these to my agent because you've got to look and i was like look you don't know but i worked in the film industry all these years and he was like just try it so i've been doing you know auditions I haven't gotten any roles yet because I, I probably can't act to be honest but <laughs> he was like you you look you look good on film so let's see what we can do you know it's funny I uh, I had been offered to audition for a role yesterday and it was a bigger role with a, a recurring role for a known network and I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to get that because I'm in competition with all these actors from Atlanta. And so I declined it. And my agent texted me. He's like, dude, just go ahead and do it. He said, they saw your role. You're real. They like it enough that they want you to audition. Just go ahead and audition and see what happens. So I did that yesterday. So yeah, it's been interesting for me, who's never, I was always behind the scenes and I was always friendly with. You know the most of the cast that I worked with because, you know, I started out working with cast members, and that kind of followed through. And when they hear, oh, you worked worked with Hugh and Jessica, and they they'll come up and ask me. You know, oh, do you have any good stories? I'm like, oh yeah, I got tons of good stories from them. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What's your best story from when you were working in the film industry?
1: So, one of the stories that people enjoy hearing is i when I first moved to los angeles i uh had i was dating a girl who was an actress slash waitress mostly waitress <laughs> um and her good friend at the time was chelsea handler um and so and they were known for being party girls these two together and I got to the point after I dated this girl probably eight months where i I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot deal with all this actress drama and partying anymore. So I broke up with her. Uh, I broke up with her New Year's Eve. Excuse me. I go into, mar- go into our office the next Monday. At this point, I was working on helping set up, set up uh, the first digital production company in Japan. And we had an office in Santa Monica. We had a bunch of artists that we had hired in Japan and so we had people, we had hired people from like Pixar and, uh, uh, what do you call it, Lucasfilm, to help train the traditional Japanese artists on how to use digital tools. One of the producers was um, a girl named Marisa Cody. Marisa's husband had just written the first X-Men movie. And we were all friends. I, we all went out to lunch that Monday and David, Marissa's husband says, oh, you broke up with that girlfriend? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want to introduce you to this girl. I think let's do a double date. And I was like, okay, well, tell me about her. And she, he's like, oh, she's really tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. She's South African. Uh, she's gorgeous. She's been a model. I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. wait, wait, what does she do now? She's an actress. And I'm like, dude, I just broke up with an actress. And her, basically her best friend actress who was around all the time. I do not want to go out with another actress ever again. And that was when I turned down a date with Charlize Theron.
0: Dang. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so I, you know, she would come on TV. I would tell my now ex-wife i'd be like look that could have been my first ex-wife right there because <laughs> she's 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 a little nutty
0: but <laughs> maybe you did dodge a bullet Just i probably famous did. doesn't mean yeah no like, no no if anything i would say would you think that living in la had kind of made you realize like you know i've met a few people from la and they seem to have their head on their shoulders a little bit more about perspective as far as like fame is not all it's cracked up to be
1: yeah, I think fame I learned fame and money have not are not all they're cracked up to be. I you know I've while I was there I knew and worked for people who were beautiful and or had money and that has nothing to do with your happiness and contentness in life. In fact in many times I found it to be have an inverse effect on happy you are with yourself how happy you are with your surroundings you know a lot of the you know the wealthy people that i know would constantly be acquiring like a new this or it's a new car or forty thousand dollars in clothes or a new twenty thousand square foot mansion and they're still miserable uh and you know i was like you know what if i can be happy and content with less I'm going to try and do it that way. So today I live myself life pretty simply. Um, You know, I live in a very small place. I don't have a lot to clean up, worry about, pay taxes on, all those kinds of things. I'm just kind of happy being in a smaller place. And, you know, I go out and enjoy my life. And, you know, all during COVID, people are like, oh, you must be miserable. I'm like, no, I'm having a great time. (laughs) I, I got a lot of flack from people like, oh, you shouldn't be going out with us. I'm like. Look, if that's the thing that kills me, that's the thing that kills me. I know that it's been horrible for a lot of people and they have lost loved ones. And I'm not trying to, uh, to devalue that in any way. I understand that. But also, I don't think that I would have been in the place that I am now had I stopped living my life because of it. And I had COVID and I survived it and I've had my two vaccinations and I don't think I'll have any problems with it ever again.
0: I think a lot of people are chasing after happiness. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, like, what was that process like? What did it, like, was it was a mindset mindset shift or was it a process of years? Or? Yeah.
1: I think seeing it, you know, I grew up on Tybee, you know, lower middle class. Um, my parents sacrificed to send me to BC. I got my college degree and I was like chasing after the dollars and, once I got out to California and saw the people who, you know, made millions of dollars in the either acting, producing, writing, all those different things, I was like, wow, these people have everything, but they don't seem any they don't seem happy in life or happy with what they have. So, you know, I wanted a 5,000, 10,000 square foot house. I wanted, you know, five cars. Um and all those things. And once I got to the level where I could start acquiring those things, I was like, wow, I don't, I don't want another car that I'm gonna have to put gas in and, uh, you know, pay insurance on and have to worry about getting scratched and all those things. And, and, you know, I lived in a 2000 square foot house. And by the time my son was in high school, half the house was empty. And I'm like, you know, so I think, just th- that different stage in life that I became in, I was like, you know what? I don't need a whole lot or why I re- don't want a whole lot because it does not make you happy.
0: And you think that downsizing was the key to finding like the happiness that you have? Right I now? think
1: so. I think so. And being happy with, you know, experiences and going out and meeting new people. And, you know, sometimes I've, I've had great times. I'll stop by one of the bars downtown or on Tybee and just have a beer or two and talk to the person next to me and have, you know, or it's just great. You know, it's a great experience.
0: Do you ever find that? So earlier you said that you did like four and a half million dollars in transactions last year and you're uh-huh. trying to double that this year. Yeah. Do you find like, so you clearly have like competitiveness inside of you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that ever challenges that happiness? Uh, like when it's let down
1: or no, you know, honestly, I, I, I wanted to hit 5 million last year and I didn't, but I was like, you know what? Considering it's my first year in town COVID for, you know, eight months, nine months out of the year. I was like, no, nope, I'm I'm happy. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and that was that, just and that made was decision. That. And yeah, yeah, it
0: seems hard to believe it. It might just be because we're not hard to believe, but hard for, to imagine doing it myself. But I wonder if it's because of like a uh, difference at, in life stage I guess maybe you know in your 20s I guess you're way more hungry or I don't know yeah
1: yeah I was definitely much more competitive and driven at you know 27 28 when I was you know working for top producers and you know trying to like help bring in money to the company that I worked for I worked for a visual effects company I was like constantly trying to bring in new business and now I'm just like you know what okay we're fine
0: do you think that if you hadn't done that, though, like if you hadn't been that way in your late 20s, would you have gone ahead to the point where you can be that way now?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think that was part of the journey is, like, learning to be content with what you have. And even if you, you know, you have a goal and you, like, I missed it by, what, 15%, something like that, still fine, you know. Be happy with yourself for what you accomplished. Look back where you started, what you accomplished. Okay. I didn't hit that goal, but next year I'll try I'll try and do better. Right. Yeah.
0: But if you didn't but you if you hadn't if you had been that way in your late 20s, you probably
1: wouldn't I don't think so. I think I think it was part of my journey is to like discover those look at what I thought was going to make me happy and realize that that doesn't make people happy and so readjusting my goals and perspective based on that.
0: Do you still keep like pretty, like do you keep goals in every area of life or pretty much just like in your, like in your, for the business part? Yeah.
1: I mean, I have, I kind of have short term goals as far as like my, my personal life, but you know, business is where I, you know, like, like most men, you know, a, a big part of me is invested in my business. Like that's, what I concentrate on. So, right. yeah.
0: How many hours a day do you generally work?
1: Eight to nine.
0: Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Like five days a week.
1: Yeah. Five to, well, five to six, I would say, you know, I try, like I tried to take off yesterday and I just ended up, you know, having to do, you know, I got a call from a client, put an offer in, uh, another client wanted to reduce the price on something. So, you know, I, I probably worked, four or five hours yesterday instead of eight or nine.
0: What do you think has helped you? So obviously you have like a little bit of a competitive advantage going all that time in social media. Yeah. Doing all that time in social media. Yeah. How is that translated to sales now? Like, has that been like a huge part of it or just a little part of it? Or
1: I think it's probably 25% of it, you know, because it helps with awareness. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anybody that follows me on Facebook or instagram or any of those social media platforms that doesn't know that i do real estate there's a lot of realtors who i don't think put out enough real estate centered content also i put out a lot of goofy content too you know fun and games and joking around and honestly that might be a turnoff to some people <laughs> but that's okay that's part of me you right, know. so yeah. i'm a realtor but i also like to have fun i like to go goof, goof, goof around i like to have a nice drink when i can all those things
0: do you ever miss doing uh,
1: social media full-time? Like doing you uh, miss corporate America? I miss sometimes the work and the people that I worked with. I was lucky enough to have some really great experiences and work for some great brands and, and put out a lot of good work. Um, but what I've learned over time also is that those those were like special times or those were unusual times at, in corporate america because you know w- i happened to be doing work at a time where budgets were plentiful and the people who were in control of them trusted us to do things and things have changed since then and you know the par- purse strings are not as loose as they used to be so you know i i take those times and i look at them and say those were great times we had good work we worked well together the people that i worked with were wonderful that's back there. And so I just enjoyed that part of the journey.
0: What was it like uh, working for VaynerMedia? I know I'm going to get that. I, I know for sure. I'm sure you get that question a lot, but no, it's
1: okay. It was interesting. You know, my, my final event interview that I had was 45 minutes with Gary. Really? Yeah. What was that like? And it was interesting. Gary is exactly the same person one-on-one that he is, you know, is if you see him on his, uh, Gary VTV or whatever, um, and the f- the first half of that 45 minutes he interviewed me, and then he said, "Okay, I'm done interviewing you. Now you can interview me." And you know, I asked him some very frank questions, like, "Hey Gary, I know that you say to do these things on your, you know, on your podcast or your uh, the Gary V Show." I said, "What if I'm going to recommend something to my client to that goes contrary to that? And said, as long as as long as it's right for the client, then do it." And I said, "I don't want to be I don't want to be hired in here because you know I'm a Rip and Gary V fan. I want to be hired in here because I know what I'm doing and I'll do a good job for the company." And he's like, "Perfect." And uh, so I walked out, and like five minutes later, his. Uh, Recruiter called me and said, you're in. Gary said, you're the guy. Um, working there was a little interesting. It's kind of a scrappy shop. Um, the LA shop is a lot smaller now because uh, Toyota, who was one of their big clients that I primarily work, worked with, they relocated their headquarters from LA to Plano, Texas. And uh, VaynerMedia was not ready to open a Texas office, so... That business left and went to um, went to Toyota's other agency, which is Sachi and Sachi. Um, but it was a lot of fun. There were actually, you know, during that time is when I started to get a lot of respect for the the people that Scad was putting out in the creative realm because uh, VaynerMedia in L.A. and also VaynerMedia in uh, New York. Has a large number of Scad graduates that work for them. Really? Yep, they do. Um, so I was like, "Wow, I had no idea." And some of the people that I worked with were extremely talented. Um, but it, it was it was it was not the experience that I thought it was, but it was a good experience. Gary was was shooting his Apple TV show that he had at the time with uh, with Will I Am and Jessica. Oh, the girl who found us honest company, uh, uh, Alba, Jessica Alba. Okay. So they were shooting in our offices sometimes. So that was happening as we were. So it was interesting just to, you know, being in the background while the this show was shooting, you know, as they're walking around. Um, and it, it was a great experience. I still have a good relationship with Gary today. Really? Yeah.
0: Dang, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Um, I guess I never really thought about it, but your whole background going through production and marketing all that stuff, you said that at the end of, at the, towards the end, especially at Vander Media, you saw a lot of SCAD kids. Did you see a lot of people from SCAD through that whole time?
1: Not, not up until that point. Um, the, and I think it has to do because my primary industry that I worked in was automotive, Yeah. which is the most conservative part of, uh, the the most conservative vertical of advertising i would say so a lot of people that uh especially toyota and lexus had had either come up through the ranks of toyota and lexus or or their agency and their a- people had been at the agency for you know 15 20 years because it's so specific and the way they do things is very much more more like that more like madmen than VaynerMedia, which is very new and you know flexible, and we do things differently and things like that. Um, so the people that when I joined VaynerMedia, I was helping to set up their automotive shop um, because they really didn't have any people with automotive experience in the agency at that time. So we pulled people in who had worked on other accounts, and you know, I think three or four of them were Scad graduates and just the creativity was wonderful. And, you know, those people have gone on to have great careers as well.
0: What is the difference? Do you think like, what makes, how can you learn to be creative?
1: I think you can learn to be creative. Um, you know, I would not consider myself necessarily a very creative person. I think, you know, I'm, I tend to be more like on the Asperger side, to be honest. Um, which, you know, very logical for the, for the most part, but I'm good at seeing patterns. So when I worked on a campaign, I was primarily concerned with, okay, does this resonate with the audience that we are trying to hit? And then do all the parts of the campaign make sense as a whole? So, you know, uh, I would leave the create creativity up to the creative people. And I'm Pretty good at recognizing the creativity. I'm like, I a lot of times I'll be like, "Okay, that's great. Let's roll with that." Or, "Can we do something like this and combine these two ideas?" Um, and uh, I think that's where my strengths came came from. Uh, there are certainly people that are much more creative than I am, but I think I was just able to recognize it.
0: Kind of a piggyback off that question then yep. is what patterns do you see in realtors and investors that you think they could be better marketers? Like what marketing you know, there's gotta be things that you must see in the in the industry that are yeah.
1: like I'm yeah. gonna say something that's probably this is said a lot among realtors. I don't know if it's ever been said out loud and on a podcast and it's probably gonna get me a lot of trouble. But ninety percent of realtors are lazy. Um, not a lot of people talk about this, you know, and it's, I think working harder or, and working more as a realtor, not as, you know, there's a lot of realtors that have lots of, uh, you know, other jobs. Like in my case, I do these little auditions on the side, but my, primarily my income comes from real estate. And from the investments that I made before, so I'm focused on that almost all the time. If I hear, if I'm at a bar and I hear somebody over over here, somebody talking about a real estate transaction or wanting to move or wonder what our house is worth, I will interject myself and work my way into that conversation. I also work probably more hours a day than most realtors, so I think working harder and longer and also makes you aware of opportunities when they come up Um, and i think that goes for the same as people who are real estate investors or flippers or whatever the more you're out there and doing the work the more the opportunity is going to come to you yeah that's great advice i definitely
0: agree with you i and i think that i don't think it's just realtors either i would say like most people i don't know if, yeah I don't most know if people like, in life yeah lazy is necessarily the right word but maybe just like busy but not productive
1: yeah you know, you know what well, I, mean? I think everybody feels like a lot of people are just comfortable too yeah. with where they are and i mean where i i'm comfortable in who i am but i always want to be better right a better person me but better
0: i don't know if that's something you can teach
1: yeah, I think it's something that's inside you.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, did, have you found that to be genetic? Like, did you have like uh, any um, relatives that were entrepreneurial or anything?
1: Yeah, my grandfather on my mom's side, um, he grew up in Richmond Hill. His first job, he was an errand boy for Henry Ford. Um, he moved to Savannah in 1935 and went to Armstrong College at that time for a year. He met Herb Traub. And they became good friends, and they opened the Pirates House together. And he and Herb went on to own four restaurants in town at one time. So it was the Pirates House, Our House, which is uh, on the corner of Victory and Skidaway, where the Starbucks is now. Yeah. That that mid-century modern building. Um, I thought that used to be a church, to be honest. No, it was a it was a <laughs> restaurant. It was a, so there was an original Our House there that was like a more traditional-looking Savannah building that burned down. And when uh, my grandfather rebuilt it, he wanted it something a little more modern, which turned out to be uh, not good for business because people were like, oh, we like the old Howard House better. But anyway, and then they owned another uh, a drive-in called the Triple X that's right across from uh, the Banana Stadium and another one out on Highway 17 called Harvest House. Um, so he was very entrepreneurial. He ran restaurants. Until he was in his, I think he was 75 when he retired from the, sold his last restaurant. And then he actually started selling real estate because he got bored in retirement uh, down in Richmond Hill and sold Piercefield Forest, which was one of the first uh, little subdivisions out there in the, it was, had to be early, mid 80s time.
0: So real estate is like reoccurring in your family. It's a reoccurring theme, yeah. yeah. Um, let me ask you this. If you go back and give advice to like, I guess, your 27-year-old self whenever you first started, yeah. what advice would you give yourself?
1: It's funny because I'm doing that with my son right now. My son's 20. He finished a year of college, was not motivated, wasn't sure what he should do, and he was kicking around this idea of getting his real estate license or, or getting a mortgage license and i said do either one get into this industry now because it's one of those industries that excuse me i've never seen have as much opportunity in so many different areas you can be a realtor you can be a, a broker you can be a flipper you can be in construction you can uh be in mortgage you can be in a, a, a inspector you can be an appraiser uh You can do all those different things you just have so many different areas to work in within the single industry and it's an industry that you know property is almost never worth zero you know it's not like stocks that can crash and be worth zero or the company goes out of business and be zero real estate is always going to be worth something right yeah it's tangible
0: what um Seeing all the success that you saw in LA and everything you've seen here, it's kind of a reoccurring theme that keeps coming up: um, is giving to get. How much do you feel like that plays into anything, all the any success that you've had?
1: Well, I, I don't know if that I ever. I ne- I never worked to to be successful. Like I didn't want to do. I wanted just to do good work, no matter what I did. So it was like I wanted to be proud of the work that I did, not, oh, I'm reached this. You know, I'm a vice president at VaynerMedia. I worked this. Like the title could mean nothing to me. I wanted to do good work and have people have fun while we're working too. Because that's another thing that I saw. Like I've had more than my share of people that I worked for who made me miserable or were miserable to work for. And I never wanted to be that person. A lot of the work that you do, especially in uh, advertising and media and the film industry, is very high stress. Um, there's lots of money involved, uh, and there's lots of mistakes that may are made that cost a lot of money. But it doesn't matter as long as if you know it, life's going to keep going on. Let's do the best that we can, have fun while we're doing it, and be proud of the what we accomplished. That's good, and if we d- it didn't do good, then, yep, you know what, we can't win them all.
0: That seems like a good no Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem. <laughs> let's do it again.
0: All right, man. Let's do. Oh, uh, where can people find you?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, SeanWilliamsTeam.com. Uh, anybody can call me too or text me 912-508-5477.
0: Cheers, man. Thanks Cheers. for coming on. Take it easy.
1: Hey, y'all. Thank you so much
0: for listening this week. If uh, you want to show some support, please head on over to mpgpodcast.com. Check out the awesome merch we have on there. Um, And also subscribe and comment wherever you listen to this. Uh, That does huge things for pushing us up on the algorithm, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is, whatever platform you use go right now go subscribe go comment help push us up and also please share us on your social media um, the more listens we get the more i can bring uh more guests i can bring in the more value i can bring you guys so thanks so much it's a total team effort i appreciate all the support and uh hope you all have a great week see you guys next week